Welcome to Bruin Success, where we talk to UCLA alumni and explore the many paths to success beyond UCLA. I'm your host, Katie Russo, and today I'm excited to be joined by Paco Rotana, Vice President of Programs at Wellness. Paco is a recipient of the 2018 Humanitarian Award from the National Conference for Community and Justice. In addition, he serves on the UCLA Alumni Association Board of Directors. Paco is a double Bruin, graduating from UCLA in 1987 with a degree in psychology, and then earning his master's in social work from UCLA Luskin School of Public Affairs. Paco, welcome to Bruin Success. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us today. Thank you, and uh, I appreciate the invitation. I'm super excited about doing this, and I'm completely present and good to go. Awesome. So to start us off, can you tell us about the mission of Wellnest, and as Vice President of Programs, what does your role entail? Sure, thank you. So um, we're, we are um, Wellness is a nationally acclaimed uh, provider of holistic, providing holistic, research-informed, innovative mental health services for children, youth, and young adults ages birth to 25. And we really focus on a holistic approach to emotional well-being. Wellness offers uh, hope, healing, and opportunity to the children, young adults, and families and communities we serve. Our commitment remains steadfast as we enter our second century of service. So uh, that's in a, that's our mission, and we're we're in South LA, and we're and also in uh, other parts of Los Angeles, like Boyle Heights, and um, you know metro area of Los Angeles, providing uh, just a cadre of services, mental health services, and we've been doing it for over ninety five years. Yeah, so we're we're pretty much a good strong pillar. We sometimes think that we are a a hidden treasure, so we're really focusing on trying to make sure that we're. Uh, lifting up our not only our brand, but what we do and how we do it to the community. And then as, so for you as vice president of programs, what does maybe a typical day look like for you? You know, I want to definitely, our program, we have five programs that we that I oversee. It's early intervention and community wellness, uh, which is our children's z- zero to five, uh, providing anywhere from outpatient, day treatment services, and home visitation. We have a home visitation program, which is first to five. For we're really looking at the little, little ones, the infants and toddlers. Then we have our another program, and a second program is access and wellness. And that's just pretty much anybody can walk into the threshold of our organization and uh, seek services. And it's a by no appointment um, only. We're obviously uh, adjusting to the because as a result of the we're uh, as a result of the pandemic we've adjusted to telehealthing but we do have a handful of staff here coming in for urgent matters right then number three we have our life learning center which is uh, one of our newest buildings that we have and these are uh, really providing services what we call our transitional age youth 16 to 25 years of age and these are youth that are uh, that are are very vulnerable. Uh, they're marginalized, and we also are prevent, providing uh, housing for our, through our independent living program for 18 and 21-year-olds as well. And that's our Life Learning Center. And then our last two programs, we have outpatient services. That's just your traditional outpatient services. Someone comes in. We do home field-based services. We're on the school, but really providing therapy uh, once a week with any of the evidence-based practice models that we're utilizing or community-defined practices that we're that we're engaging in. And then finally, we have a program called Intensive Services. And Intensive Services are 
our most uh, vulnerable high-risk youth. They're being seen through wraparound, through full-service partnership programs. These are the services that need 24-7 uh, availability for their providers and, and, and all around uh, the, the providers in all these programs are amazing. They're amazing. They're, uh, they're the, they're, they're the gift. They're the, I really truly believe that they're saving people's lives. So it's, it's incredible. So my role is to make sure that these programs are fully running operational and uh, making sure that we're providing culturally responsive services that we're measuring our, outcomes and we're lifting up those outcomes to not only letting the community know but our staff know and just the day-to-day -day operations so i am uh you know very thrilled and very honored to be here at wellness wow that's that's amazing all the this full scope of the range of programs your one organization provides like you said looking for everything from long term to more of the like 24 hour or the you know more at risk populations it's just amazing to see all that your wellness provides absolutely and one thing i do want to uh, share too is that we also provide uh, internships so our internship is for our msw uh, graduate students all over the, uh, you know, LA, and we have some from Columbia as well, and um, but we have some UCLA interns as well coming in. So these are either first year or, or second year graduate students learning how to be therapists. So that we have twelve interns uh, from all over Los Angeles, and again, yeah, one from the East Coast. So we're we're super excited about that. So we're a training institute as well. Oh, that's fantastic! That's super exciting, and always great when Bruins are there. Absolutely. <laughs> so while an undergraduate student at UCLA, how did you figure out what you wanted to do once you graduated? And did you always know that you wanted to enter a helping profession? You know, I was blessed that I knew pretty much from high school, I wanted to be in the, uh, in the helping profession. And um, it was either that at a big fashion. I wanted to. I was a big dreamer. I wanted to be a baseball player. That was it. And um, well, that obviously didn't pan out. So I, I went with my uh, plan. And so I've always known that. So as an undergrad, I started to take, um, you know, the, the, I was a, a psychology major. So I began to take psychology courses. But then I got involved in the sociology courses as well. And it so just catapulted me into a lot of curiosity about, about uh, society, about community, and how psychology and sociology can be blended in. And I thought that training was amazing as an undergrad at UCLA, and I had some great mentors. There was a couple of professors, including a theater arts professor, that really helped me kind of uh, develop uh, a lot more confidence. And, and that particular is a three, three, it was a whole year of a course that we took in theater that really helped me uh, just develop, again, a sense of being confident, uh, being positive, open-minded around other folks who I thought were so much smarter than me, and they were brilliant, and, and I was just there just trying to make it. So I'll, I'll never forget that. That was super helpful, too. So that kind of catapulted me into knowing I kind of like this stuff. Um, I then ended up uh, taking a gig as a DUI counselor. So I was a, I know, I was a junior and senior and my, and one year off to kind of develop this 
my personal statement, right? I needed to say that I've worked so and it just by chance, a good friend of mine who's also a Bruin went to law school at UCLA, double Bruin as well, and said, I need someone to step up. Would I be interested in this position? I said, sure. I had no idea DUI counseling. The training was on the spot, but I loved it. And I did it both in Spanish and in English. These were court mandated individuals that needed to go. And I just, for three years, I loved it. It was every Tuesday and Thursday, I would go in the evening. And that's pretty much really helped me get into graduate school. So that was my undergraduate uh, journey. And I really, uh, there were some good people there, not only at UCLA and through the academic advancement program, but also outside in my community, my tribe, right? That really encouraged me um, to, uh, to get through the, this time. And at times people would say, you really wanna go into mental health or counseling or be a psychologist or a social worker? And I said, that's exactly what I wanna do. I was going to say, wow, that's a great story. And I love the, um, even your story, talk, like it has, you know, talking about your network. And like you said, you had a friend, fellow Bruin was in law school. Hey, I need someone. Um, you just never know what doors can open from, you know, connecting and meeting new people and establishing your network. And I, I think that's something that, you know, your story once again, even shows we've, we've heard a lot through these interviews, Bruins helping one another and being able to, you know, yeah, help each other find those opportunities and connect you to the right people and places. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, just to your point, it's only during an interview like this or when it comes up that you really think and you reflect back. And in my journey to graduate school, it was another Bruin who's a dear friend I went to. We were both, uh, she, was a, I was a, uh, she was a freshman, I was a sophomore, lived in Dykstra, and we've been friends ever since. And she's a dynamite. She's a, also double Bruin and, and, and went on to Harvard to get a doctorate degree. But she was, she knew somebody that uh, in the graduate program, back then it was a school of social welfare, that really mentored me. So again, it was another, like you're, to your point, it was another, yet another Bruin who helped me connect with somebody. And then next thing you know, I'm applying and I got in. Um, and so, yes, it's just, it's a beautiful network. It's, it's just a tapestry of just individuals looking out for each other, paying it forward. And that's what's great about that. Absolutely. Love that. So the impact of COVID-19 on our world cannot be understated, but the impact on mental health in the time of COVID-19 is a conversation of its own. How do you believe COVID has put the spotlight on mental health? And kind of in a similar vein, I'm curious, what does resilience look like in this time? You know, it's really, it's been a complete pivot and it's the new normal as they, they talk about. So the everyone is shifted into teleworking, or we're calling telehealth, right? And you know, for the so there's been a complete transfer into making sure that we're creating access to individuals who need mental health services, both children, families, and adults. And um, there we have really here at wellness, what we've done is that we've completely shifted our, our, our modalities to focus on telehealth. So we have virtual groups, for example, we're doing, uh, we're doing therapy, case management, psychiatry, psychiatry sessions, and we're doing all this through, in the, uh, through, through telehealthing. 
But to answer your question specifically, it's it's been tough too. Um, I've been involved in a couple of sessions where uh, doing actually a consultation with a family where the individual lives in a one bedroom apartment and she want the, the limits of confidentiality are there's no confidentiality. So she has to, she had to carve out time with me where her family members wouldn't be there so that she could openly talk about her concerns, her struggles, her challenges with some of the family members. So that's been, that was a awakening for me during right in the middle of this. Uh, and we have a lot of family members that are sharing, you know, one bedroom apartments or there's confined space and whether you might have a situation of, of child abuse, or you may have domestic violence, or you may have some abuse, you and and you're in those conditions where you don't have the ability to be completely honest and candid to a therapist that's there to help you, has been um, uh, really challenging. And on the flip side of that narrative, there's also incredible stories that are existing where we're helping individuals with depression or issues of, uh, of you know, school-related issues with the kids and helping the parents uh, deal with that. Um, we're on the fly. Sometimes um, a family can't make their two o'clock appointment. Uh, and so there's gotta be a, uh, it just pushes the time to, it's like when you go, you're gonna go see a dentist, you're either gonna see your dentist and if you miss your appointment, you miss your appointment. Well, here our therapists are, you know, uh, got about 25, you know, cases that they're managing at one time with one particular program. So the flexibility when a family member has to go run to the store during their appointment and then they'll tell the therapy, can I, let me call you back in a half hour. It just pushes everything. So those little details, but uh, there's incredible stories about our staff, even during this time, going out to do field-based services too, because there's a safety related issues regarding suicidal ideation or some or uh, or some uh, urgent matters regarding safety whether it's regarding uh, perhaps a uh, child abuse or domestic violence and it's the partnerships that we have in the community that we want to make sure that we're completely uh, it's like a community treatment plan you know you have your treatment plan whether you go to the dentist the doctor um, and, and the therapist you're going to have a treatment and I like to look at it as a community treatment plan because the therapist is working with maybe a probation officer or a school teacher or a school counselor, um, also working with a, uh, uh, a uh, an organization that's providing uh, food services, et cetera. So it's that really big team approach. It's a multidisciplinary team approach that makes this really exciting. Wow. That's, yeah, there's so much. And I think what you shared that I was just, you know, reflecting on in one was, I think even through the stories you shared, just the whole idea of boundaries and that concept has completely, I mean, they were something before, but now there's so many layers to, you know, even just the stories you shared, what that looks like for people in their home and, and having to, you know, potentially live where they work and having family members come and take being taking care of others. And there's so many different layers to trying to, you know, set or create or maintain those boundaries that I think just it has been on an ongoing challenge for so many people during this time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, we need to honor, you know, as much as possible, the, the, the journey of mental health services, the stigma is real um, and individuals we're constantly dealing with eliminating stigma, however we can 
while we're creating hope for a lot of our family and individuals that are in dire straits uh, currently right now with this pandemic, the last thing that, that people need to be doing is isolating themselves when they have depression, when they're dealing with anxiety and they're dealing with a, 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 a host of other mental health issues. And the, the way to some of the curative factors are to making sure that you're not isolating yourself. So it's a very, it's a struggle, especially with our elderly population as well. So there's a lot of factors that come into place as a therapist that you're um, needing to uh, consider uh, and trying to mitigate with this pandemic. Once, once the pandemic is over, in what ways or how do you see the landscape of mental health services and support changing as a result of what we've gone through? Wow, that's a, that's a great question. Um, you know, telehealth, I think that telehealth has been able to reach out to individuals that perhaps may not come into the organization or, or go to their home for a host of reasons, whether it's work, whether it's um, whether there's some other activities that they're involved in their life. So I think telehealthing is a, is a, is a viable option. And, um, and I think that's gonna change the landscape. There are, there's uh, some recommendations being made through to the departmental health and even to the state about, hey, look, these are the great things that telehealth did. So, or, or even um, doing therapy over the phone, which is, it's hard. So the, 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 the the thing about doing therapy on the phone is that some families and ourselves don't want to be on a screen all the time. Like you're like who, you know, you're, it's just a, di it's, it's a different type of you're, you're, you're tired. You're, it's exhausting, especially if you have back-to-back -back meetings. Right. So one option, a lot of families rather just pick up the cell phone and just talk on the phone. And sometimes that's, that's particularly not a, cannot be it's not a billable activity through medical because right because you also need to see the person in front of you you need to make sure that you know how their affect is and, and how are they looking and how are they expressing themselves which is a different way way better face to face we all agree with that but when you're on a zoom call that's helpful so on a telephone call you really can't assess that so much so it's a given you know it's one of those things however i think that if uh if we start to, uh, you know, loosen up on some of the regulations on how do we do therapy and how do we bill for therapy, I think it's uh, it just creates more access for services, right? Um, and it's I think after the pandemic, um, and we're, certainly that's going to happen. But and when that ha when that day comes, we're going to have such an appreciation for for humanity, right? It's like we get to. You know, and it might be some lessons learned about that. I know that there's been already some good literature that's been out there and talking about just sort of the changes and, and what we're looking forward to in this transformation during this transformation. So, yeah, I think, like you said, I think that that seems to be one of the biggest ones. You know, that can come from this is just the more people accessing it than before. Like you said, if schedules wouldn't allow them to, you know, come to an office or a center or things like that, there's more opportunity and flexibility for them to get support in different ways, you know? And I think that that is a, a blessing or silver lining that can come from all of this. Correct. Absolutely. 
So you've spent nearly 30 years serving the vulnerable youth and marginalized communities in Los Angeles. I know that the work you do is challenging and meaningful, but it also must come with a never ending to-do list. Even through all that, what has been your proudest accomplishment to date? You know, I'm in a, I find myself currently in my life seems to be juggling uh, various uh, just opportunities, right? So being on the board at UCLA as a, as a board of director has been incredibly rewarding. And, um, and I feel part of that community, uh, part of that UCLA community. I've always felt that, but this is, there's a really strong connection. So I'm really, I'm really proud of how I've been able to manage being a board of director and also being, being involved as a vice president of programs of a $25 million nonprofit organization. We have over uh, 250 staff and I oversee all the providers. So sometimes I pinch myself and say, cannot believe never in a million years, you know, Katie, that I ever think that I would be a vice president of programs in an organization when I was an undergrad at UCLA <laughs> trying to get through Franz Hall and, and, and look at the inverted fountain and say, what, I just want to be a probation officer. I just want to work with families. And I've been able to do that. So that's been some incredible uh, opportunities. I've also been blessed to be part of uh, cons consult for the boys and men of color work through the California Endowment. And that's been a passion of mine, um, working with especially black and brown uh, youth that are struggling and being able to also balance that. It's just, these are joys that I have. These are gifts that, and, that my ancestors have provided to me that I'm able to do that work and being involved with just uh, um, that accomplishment. I've, I've sat in on various committees, the Latino underserved cultural communities for the Department of Mental Health, I've co-chaired that meeting. I've co-chaired another service advisory committee that uh, it's called now, uh, what's well, the service advisory committee for South LA. And um, it's made up of stakeholders and being able to co-chair, there's about 50 people that show up, uh, black and brown, really looking at how do we uh, break down the barriers to mental health and how do we lift up the community so that they get services and we look at those and tackle the or address the social determinant factors. So, so to your question, it's it. There's there's not one thing that lit, comes up, but there's several right now in my journey. Um, and and the one thing I need to also just honor is that my parents um, have been amazing and super supportive of my journey. And when I was an undergrad at UCLA, they always worried about me. They were, they didn't go to college. They didn't go to high school. They were hard workers. My dad was an upholster. My mom uh, worked at a, uh, worked at, as a, she just raised us, raised both. They both raised my mom, which is a stay home, um, stayed home and raised her kids. But um, my dad just passed away. And now the gifts that I see that he's, provided me back to that question about resilience has been his his relentless pursuit of just being um, hardworking, making sure that your outcome is the best, right? That you're positive about things. He wasn't a man of, he was a funny guy, but he wouldn't be dropping these incredible quotes 
but his actions, it was his actions and how he did things that stayed and resonate with me. So um, that's helped me as well. And just my parents, my mom is still uh, present with us and, and making sure that she's still a hundred percent a mom towards us. So, but anyway, so that's sort of my, what comes to mind with that question. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, and, and I'm very proud. I'm a, I'm a proud social worker. I'm, I, I'm, been blessed to have received a, 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 a few awards on just lifting that up and that award goes straight and I show my parents look what I just got you know but just going back to mom and dad and you know sharing look what I got look what this is and they're so proud my mom is dad is always they're always been really proud yeah that's that's amazing and I think um even just as you shared so many of the things you're involved with, your your passion comes through in, in all your sharing of the different committees or boards or organizations that you're a part of and involved with. You can just, you can hear the the passion and the care um, that you have for these these social issues and wanting to to better them and and, and better others. So um, just yeah, wow, inspired inspired by all that you're involved with and and how you're continuing to to do this work and move it forward. Thank you. That means a lot. Very heartfelt. Thank you. I appreciate that. Absolutely. So as kind of on that same note, as someone whose work has been spent bettering the lives of others, what does self-care mean to you? And you know, a lot of our, our staff, um, I'm, I'm clearly older, a lot of our younger staff come in like self-care, self-care, self-care. I think it's great. Um, my immediate responses to that is I love hiking. Love music, love salsa, uh, love to spend time with my wife and my family, um, sense of humor, uh, and those are and, and um, those are the things that just emerged with that question. Um, can't take things too seriously sometimes. Um, although the line of work that I'm in is just is heavy and. Sometimes people ask me, how have you done it? And I think it's through the self-care that really, it, when I was up coming up, it wasn't something that people would talk about. How are you taking care of yourself? Or it would, but it doesn't have the same impact and the same level of, of, of um, need that it has now, right? And I'm thinking, it was just as tough back then. Where was self-care then? And But, you know, I, I think that um, I try so much to not be on either emailing and 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 looking at your telephone and that's that's something that currently I'm trying to do but it's sometimes it feels daunting and impossible because you're needing to communicate and reply so I try to be intentional about putting it down and disconnecting as much as I can or I'm reminded by either uh by root or so our German shepherd, hey, pay us attention, you know? But, you know, but that's what I would say. I would encourage anyone out there to really, whether it's yoga, whether it's mindfulness, whether it's um, networking, whether it's just having, um, even during pandemic, even bringing in a few people, if you, they're in your trusted tribe that everyone has been practicing, you know, their, their physical distancing, have something, make, make sure, sure that you're connected with with humanity with your friends uh zooming is is all good but it's uh i think it's that human contact that we need and again i'm saying that with complete uh safety is first 
take care of yourself, but at the, at the same time, balance um, how to connect with people. You can have a four people in your backyard, you know, physical distancing and having a good time, you know, and I think that's important. So that's what I would say about self-care. 30 years in, I love what I do. I'm, I have never, ever, ever felt like I've made a wrong decision. I've, um, the, the people that have helped me in my journey, there's been some mentors, clearly I can name them, but it's the community and it's the people that I've worked with. They have been amazing and reminding me. I, I've run into former patients or clients that will say, thank you. Uh, I'm in college now, or um, I'm no longer um, uh, having uh, those bouts of depression, or I'm not I'm not in that I'm not gangbanging anymore. I mean, it just, they go on and on. And the parents have been always, so I, I, one time, one of my favorite stories, I, one time I was, a, I was, I was invited to a home. It was a birthday party and I get there and um, there is a, we're settling in, get there to get there. And I see somebody I recognize one of my, one of the moms that I'm working with and I'm going, Oh, what a coincidence. She's must know the family. No, she is the, nanny of that home and she came up to me and at that point boundaries what do we do like you know you're not, you don't want to you know break confidentiality but my instinct was human compassion so she comes up to me and thanks me and is so happy to see me she I wasn't treating her her son anymore it'd been about a year but the fact that she just came up to me and just thanked me meant the world that's more than a paycheck more than then, uh, then um, you know, people pray. It was just that immediate, organic. Um, that was a gift, and I'm sharing it here because I'll never forget it. And that, that happened probably, I'm going to say, about eight years ago. Yeah, and I feel like all of those stories for you. How can how can those moments that once again you've held on to, even the ones that are from years ago or more more recent, how can those not motivate you to know that you know a difference is being made and there and people are people's lives are improving and getting better because of the work you and your organization are doing. No doubt, absolutely. So our final question is, since leaving UCLA, how has your career and life experiences shaped how you define success? You know, I, I, I've, at, there's this uh, poem that a lot of the social, uh, the community organizers say, or a poem, but it's a phrase, it's called, in la quec, and it says, you are my other me. Um, and in Spanish, it's, tu eres mi otro yo. And UCLA, has allowed me to, to feel that you are my other me, that we may have our differences, we may disagree, um, but at the end of the day, uh, we want uh, um, good health for everyone. We want folks to be happy. And so um, I'm grateful to UCLA's um, um, training, education, networking. Um, I'm a proud Bruin, so proud. And I've become a lot more proud probably in the last 10 years, but I've always been involved at UCLA by teaching and, and, and doing coursework there. Um, and so now moving forward, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed. I'm really blessed to, to do the work that I do um, I do it with pride. I'm, I'm a steward of social work. I'm, I'm, I 
I'm, I believe that, that all of us deserve a second, third, fourth, fifth chance. That's the guy that I am, you know, and, um, and, and I lead that way. So I want the, my, the, as I lead, I want individuals to be empathic and visionary and with integrity, right. And full of optimism as we share with UCLA. So, and it's about engagement, right? So we keep engaging, we keep engaging, and we just keep having these courageous conversations while we're being positive and, and, and lifting that up. So I don't know if that answered your question. I think that um, that's where I went. Yeah, I, I'm fully, I, it was a great answer. I'm, I have no, no, uh, you know, doubts about that. So that was, yeah, I think you're, it's amazing to just even talking to you, like you can hear, like, there's so much of you and that proud Bruin comes out from, from your optimism and your service to others and, you know, giving back and everything like that. And I, I just definitely feel inspired by hearing more of your journey and the work you're doing. And I'm, I'm so glad we got to have this conversation today. Oh, Katie, it was a pleasure. I'm honored. I'm truly honored um, and humbled and anything that I can do, please reach out anytime. And I appreciate your, your, just you, I really appreciate you and just how you um, you're present with me that was great so thank you thank you I, pre I appreciate that too that means a lot um, so yeah just wanted to say in closing thank you Paco for all you do for UCLA um, in you know on our board and kind of moving the work forward and then also for our community just you know and getting to learn even more about the range of programs that you're overseeing and all that wellness is doing. Thank you for all you do for our community and bettering the lives of others and bettering the next generation of Bruins. We're so grateful to have alumni like you on our board that are just, I think, get it and get the why and um, have that optimism. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you and go Bruins. You've been listening to Bruin Success. Our guest this week was Paco Ratana of Wellness. You can find more information on Paco in the description of the episode. Follow Alumni Career Engagement on Instagram and Facebook to keep up with Bruin Success. If you enjoyed our podcast, subscribe to it, tell a friend, or share your support on social media. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time we're back with John Arboleta of Adobe. This podcast was made possible by UCLA alumni.